May the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? The raw truth behind such a question gives us a deeper look as to what is going on in John the Baptist's mind and the struggle he must have felt between his head and his heart. His heart says Jesus is the Messiah, but his mind is really questioning why he is in prison. In Luke's gospel, John and Jesus are cousins. Matthew doesn't say this. So we can assume that Matthew's take on John is that John is legitimately questioning who Jesus is and why he's in jail when the supposed Messiah is out there among his people. He is frustrated, John is tired, and he is extremely discouraged. The one whom he thought would rescue everyone from all their distress doesn't look anything like he thought he would. John is discouraged because his messianic expectations need some adjusting. We don't have to look very far in history to see how other misplaced expectations on leaders have played out. Everyone knows the famous don't cry for me, Argentina, scene where Ava Peron is depicted as this beautiful heroine of her people. In 1952, even the Argentine government gave her the title Spiritual Leader of the Nation. And when she died, she was given a state funeral. History later shows that Ava and her husband Juan Peron defrauded millions from the coffers of Argentina and aligned themselves with Franco, Pinochet, and even Che Guevara and the, the later the Castro regime. The, the modern story paints them as manipulative opportunists who did whatever they needed to do to remain in power and the consequences of them and their leadership remain in Argentina to this day. Another figure in history, Fidel Castro. Even Fidel Castro, whom almost every Cuban person in late 1958 and early 1959 would have extolled as the one who exemplifies the great promise of a nation, even Castro was looked on with great favor at that point in late 58 and early 1959 by virtually everyone only to be viewed later as a thug and a pariah upon the Western Hemisphere, just maybe six to eight months later, by many Cuban people, by the United States government, and by many of its allies. I say all of this because throughout the course of human history, people want to put all their faith and confidence in one person. They place all of their hopes and expectations on this one individual in such a way that no matter how enthusiastic they initially are about this person, they end up sorely disappointed and utterly discouraged. John the Baptist probably falls into this category. 
but we only have to look just slightly behind John's initial question to see what Jesus actually says. Jesus responds to John by pointing out that Jesus' presence, that in Jesus' presence, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And that's really not enough? The whole story points out in a big way how John's expectations of a Messiah were precisely that. They were John's expectations, not God's. His imprisonment calls the person of Jesus into question. John thinks of a Messiah as this social liberator, as one who breaks down the walls of Roman oppression, as the one who goes through the world destroying the mighty and lifting up the lowly. And Jesus does all these things, but just in his own way. Those who are the most vulnerable in society, the hungry, the deaf, the blind, they're exalted. The hearts of the people are given new life. Their downtrodden and sad and forlorn existence has suddenly been made new in him. Made new in a way that is different then John would have us think that it should be made new. How many of us are like John the Baptist? How many of us expect God to act exactly as we want God to act when and where we want God to act? Probably most of us. That's part of being human. We need this story right now. Christmas is only 10 days away, and as much as we continue to hear these themes of prepare the way of the Lord, we have to really look inside of ourselves and ask, who are we preparing for? The Jesus I create in my mind, or Jesus as he really exists? Those may not exactly be the same thing, and that's okay. There's a disconnect which brings an opportunity. How many of us are always wanting to have the perfect Christmas? How many of us spend inordinate amounts of time cooking and shopping and decorating and going to parties and wearing the right clothes and singing the right songs? Because if we do everything perfectly about Christmas, it will give us the perfect Christmas that we've always wanted. And what happens? We get disappointed. It never adds up to everything we want it to be, and we get disappointed. Does it have to be this way, though? Have we ever thought that the reason why it's such a struggle for us to see the power of God coming into the world is precisely because we're caught up in creating the perfect scenarios for our own perfect versions of Christmas instead of seeing or trying hard to see God for who God is, a humble and ever-powerful presence that brings sight and hearing and mobility and life to a world that gravitates most of the time to a rather melancholy inertia or entropy. So how do we let Jesus be Jesus right now, right here, 
So maybe our view of this season or of our world changes. And we're actually able to open our hearts and prepare the way of the Lord, the way of God in the here and now. How do we take on the properties that Jesus, of what Jesus did? How do we take on these properties so that we can not only see him for who he is, but we can also aspire to carry his work forward? Well, it starts by getting to know Jesus, by getting to know him even better than John the Baptist did. Yes, John knew the prophecies. John had heard about the miracles. But John the Baptist died before Jesus concluded his earthly ministry and before Jesus was raised from the dead. John died before the Holy Spirit poured out upon all people at Pentecost. John points us to Jesus, but our experience of Jesus is much more far-reaching than John's ever was. We have already begun to experience life in the kingdom of God in very subtle but very intentional ways. So how do we get to know Jesus? At this time of year, our first clue has to be leading generous lives. Like all the people who volunteered over the, these past weeks at many different activities that we've had here, where we offer our best to everyone, the people we know, the people we don't know, and everyone in between. We take on practices of giving so that the ministry of Jesus continues by feeding the hungry and caring for those who suffer, by advocating for those who have been maligned by our society, and by giving voice to those communities of people that don't have a voice. We do this by offering ourselves, all of ourselves, everything, our time, our talent, our treasures. We do this work by living abundantly and as generously as we can so that then we can see the richness of God's kingdom, the abundance of God's kingdom bubbling up and becoming manifest all around us. That's the first thing. Now, the second piece might be a little bit more difficult for some of us. We often overlook that one of the main practices that Jesus calls upon his disciples is to practice constant forgiveness. Forgiveness of ourselves, forgiveness of others, forgiveness of everything. When the disciples asked Jesus point blank, should they forgive someone who wronged them seven times, Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven times. This practice of forgiveness is one that will take you a lifetime to do, but the benefits are absolutely unlimited. When we live in a constant state of forgiveness, the things that hurt us in our lives, the things that plague us, that just tear our hearts apart, that plague us from one day to another, start taking on different shapes, and our minds start taking on new perspectives. We gain power when we forgive. When we can be part of Jesus' world by forgiving the wrongs of the world and proclaiming that they have no power over us, our view of God suddenly starts to change. And our wants 
and our hopes and our dreams suddenly start to seem a whole lot more like Jesus's. And finally, there's prayer. Jesus prays so much that his disciples find it unusual, almost quaint. They're curious. But the prayers Jesus prays are the ways he seeks communion with God's divine love, to seek a closer connection with God's heart. It's a way of practically infusing ourselves, marinating ourselves in God's heart. The prayers Jesus calls us to pray invite a deeper connection with God in such a way that God's purposes for the world, the things that are important to God in the world, suddenly become important to us. They become important to us. So that when our world seems to fall apart, our prayer life helps us guide, it helps guide our minds. It helps us guide a way forward how we put our world back together again. And Jesus calls his disciples to do this over and over and over again. So we have to pay attention to this too. Prayer recalibrates us. It brings us life. It helps us love, love in such a way that we could never do solely on our own. All of this is really pretty basic stuff. Jesus isn't going to be the conquering hero, like someone depicted in a blockbuster movie. He's not going to be the one standing at the balcony waving to an adoring crowd. He isn't going to be a revolutionary that incites violence. These are not the ways of God. Jesus is going to be himself, wholly himself, and nothing but himself at all times and in all places. Don't search for the living God by creating a false Messiah in your mind, one that conquers and waves to fans and one that promotes an overthrow by force. Instead, search for the living God in the person and presence of Jesus, the healer, the generous one, the one who forgives unceasingly, the one who prays constantly, and the one who promises to be with us now, even to the end of the age. That's who we're preparing to receive at Christmas. The presence of that kind of Jesus, a humble powerful presence of love from God that will dwell alongside all of us for every day of our lives. Be generous, forgive, pray, prepare the way of the Lord. It's beginning to look a lot like, well, you know. <laughs>